This is Buffalo, What's Next? I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jai Paul Valenza. And I'm Dave Debo. If ever there was an issue that demands more discussion now, the racist massacre at Topps Friendly Markets on May 14th is it. Um, you know, America has a long, deep, rich history of racism brutalizing black communities. But where does it go from here? What does our community need? We must work and teach our children. What issues just aren't being addressed? As long as we keep doing the same thing, we're just sitting ducks for the next mass shoot. That's all you can say. This is a new program. Every weekday, we'll set aside this hour to hear from the community about issues that can no longer be held back. We need to make a concerted effort in our nation, in our institutions, and yes, in our families. And this is Dave Debo. Today on the program, Buffalo Catholic Charities educator Harvey Miles discusses the idea of racial truth and reconciliation. A little bit later in the program, Alexander Wright will be here from the African Heritage Food Co-op, but first, arts and social justice and segregation. All of that topic wrapped up in one package means that Jillian Hainsworth is here. She's the City of Buffalo's Poet Laureate. She's a Director of Leadership Development at Open Buffalo. She's a teaching artist at the Dunbar Project at Ujima Theater, and she's also an adjunct professor at the University at Buffalo's Educational Opportunity Center. Jillian, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. What is the biggest thing that the East Side needed before the shootings, and what do you think is the biggest thing that it needs in light of the shootings? And are they the same thing, or can we split the topic that way? Um, well, I, I will say every need that was present on the East Side prior to May 14th is still very pre- present. Um, community ownership is what I say the largest need is because everything kind of will trickle down from that. We can address poverty if we address community ownership. Um, Post May 14th, however, I think collective healing is something that we need. Um, There is a lot of people dealing with a lot of trauma and like racial trauma is, is so unique because you don't have to be, you didn't have to be in tops to be traumatized by what happened. Knowing that you can be a target because of the color of your skin is so traumatizing. Similarly then, can we argue that the incident on May 14th doesn't resonate as strongly for people who not who aren't people of color? Yes, 100%. I would 100% argue that. I think a lot of people who are not um, black or brown um, can empathize to an extent because Mass violence is something that we can all say is wrong, regardless of what incited it. Sure. Um, Universally abhorrent. Right. 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 But unless you are black, right, unless you are constantly navigating all these systems that are designed to work against you, um, and then you still have to deal with the pain of knowing that someone went into a grocery store and committed a violent act of terrorism against people just because they look like you after watching it happen to Trayvon Martin and to Mike Brown and Sandra Bland and George Floyd and Eric Garner. And we can go on and on and on. You, you'd never be able to fully understand it. When you talk about community ownership, do you mean things like the African heritage food co-op? Uh, or, or is it just a, a coffee house? Is it uh, uh, any sort of business 
I assume we're talking business, any sort of business on the east side. Yeah, I think it's any business, um, but I also think it's home ownership, um, land ownership. There is a lot of land on the east side that is unoccupied, that no one, um, no one's building on, no one's using for anything. Um, so all of that, making sure that the community has ownership over that, ownership over over public safety and what it looks like to police our communities. Like we need full ownership over over how our communities are functioning a separate source a, a separate police force um i don't know maybe okay um we know that that modern day policing was built off of slave catching we know that modern day policing is racist in and of itself right so yeah maybe we need to completely reimagine what public safety looks like but again unless we address poverty addressing public safety is just addressing you know it's just putting a Band-Aid on the wound. We're not actually fixing anything. To what degree, and I, I hear you talking about poverty and ownership, to what degree is segregation part of the solution? Um, or desegregation? Yeah. I, I think that it plays a big role in the solution. Um, I think it comes down to showing the same amount of value to the east side that we see at Canal Side and in North Buffalo and in the the medical corridor, I think it comes down to how we value it. Unfortunately, in this country, a lot of communities are not valued unless white bodies are present in it. Um, so I don't want to say, oh, we need white people to live here in order for our community to be valued, because our people deserve to be valued with or without the presence of white bodies. Um, so I, I do think that the segre- the segregation in Buffalo is a weakness that the city has. But you don't view it necessarily desegregation as a solution because you're defining the problem much more broadly. Right. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I wouldn't say if we desegregate, that's going to solve everything because bringing white people into black communities is not saying that they, they want us here. You know what mm. I mean? A lot of times what we see is gentrification, not desegregation. We don't see people wanting to build with us. We want we see them wanting to be present instead of us. So I'll be very careful to say, let's just desegregate more and, and everything will get better. Because even then, who, what are the mentality of the people that are coming into our community? The reason I raised it, I was thinking of education, not capital E, formal education schools, but just the, the, the grassroots kind of stuff where a white person understands a black person better. Yeah. And I mean, that that's intentional. Um White people need to want to understand other people, regardless of if they're their next door neighbor or not. Um, because I, we, we said this before we started. I was just going to go there. Go. Justice yeah. anywhere, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, right? So if you are saying, I'm a white person and I really want to understand other cultures better, understand them. Take the trip. I, I, I be, spoke be at intentional a, about be it, she intentional. says. Be intentional. Show yeah. up intentionally. Um, I spoke at a rally the morning after May 14th, and we were at Johnny B. Wiley on Jefferson. And I said, raise your hand if you had to use your GPS to get here. And all the white people in the audience <laughs> raised their hand. Everyone. You know, you don't have, you shouldn't have to live in our city to be able to navigate all sides of it. Yeah. I can navigate North Buffalo, and I've never lived in North Buffalo. You know, so it's like, it's, it's where your intentions. If you want to have a more um, vast understanding of the cultures around the city, learn them. Like, get out of your corner of Buffalo 
and explore. There's so much on the east side that is that is worth exploring. And that brings us in part to why we have you here. Jillian Hainsworth is the City of Buffalo's Poet Laureate. How can art and recognition of the arts contribute to social change? Well, number one, artists have a way of being honest about the state of our communities and the needs of our communities in a way that's both digestible to the people who have no idea what we're what we're talking about when we talk about these issues and the people who are navigating them on a daily basis. Because even the people, when I'm writing, I'm just as concerned for my own people being able to hear and process what I'm saying without re-traumatizing them as I am making sure that that white people can be educated. It's, it's just That's not your intent, you're saying. Or now, your I, job, probably. I'm, I'm equally concerned with doing both. Okay. I want to educate. Um, I want to empower. That's always the first thing. I want to empower my people, and that's the top priority in everything that will ever come out of my mouth. Um, but I have to look at all sides of this. Um, art is healing. I always tell my artist friends that like we process things differently because we're healers. Instead of looking at what's happening in front of us and, and kind of trying to come to a conclusion, we have to let it go through us. We have to feel it in a different way. And I think that helps other people um, because we can help them heal because we've been able to process it. Can support of the arts create support for the East Side community? Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, it, it the art on the East Side, and I'm, I'm thinking right now of the Freedom Wall, Okay. Right? Yeah. This beautiful wall that educates you so much on what so many people have done for not only black communities, but for America at large. Right. It's educating people, but it's also adding beauty and value to something that may not have held that beauty or that value prior. Let, let's back up just on the assumption. You're right that some people need GPS. Freedom Wall is on ferry near Performing Arts High School. Mm hmm. And it is a mural that features, what, about 10? Oh, it's way 15? more than 10, okay. maybe like 15 or 20. Um, just freedom fighters and change makers. Local folks, though. Some are local George and C. some Arthur, are not. George C. Arthur, Eva Doyle. Yeah. Um, and yet some national ones, too, right? Correct, yeah. Okay. Why is that? Let me ask it a different way. Mm -hmm. It's good for people to see role models which probably explains why it's on East Ferry. Why isn't it? At the, is there a greater value? Why isn't it at Canal Side? Um, well, number one, I think that it, it's where it needs to be. Okay. I think sometimes we need to, as, as black people in our own communities, need space to acknowledge those who have done the work for us, the people whose shoulders we're standing on. Um, and I think... I think even the the idea that things of beauty and things of value go to Canal Side okay. uh, is that's... is feeding into the the same issue here. You know where we we place value around Buffalo at Canal Side at um, North Buffalo. You know we don't we never think of the value and the beauty should go on the East Side too. Okay, I, I'm just again thinking back to the segregation, mm -hmm. and it's cool if someone who isn't familiar with some of those faces, sees those faces. Yeah, and that goes back to the intention, right? Okay. If you want to learn, you'll go. Yeah, if you wanna... so don't put it on the canal side, but get more people to the east side. Exactly. Okay. Come and, come and learn something. The the Where the Freedom Wall is, um, 
you're near Michigan Street Baptist Church, right? Which yeah. was was a part of the Underground Railroad. Like there's so much history right there in that intersection on that corner. Um, we we can't keep bringing the books to white people and hoping that they read them. If you want to be intentional and you want to learn and you want to be a part of the solution, it's time for you to step out of your comfort zone and venture in because all of the value should not go where you're comfortable. The Monday after the shooting, the 16th, you were on the air with Jay Moran. And basically you said to him something like, the, all the art in the city, the culture in the city originated on the east side. Yeah. Elaborate. So I have a poem where I say we are culture creators. All right. And historically in Give me a line or two. I was gonna um, save your readings to the end, but give me a line or two. Yeah. Um We are culture creators. They wanna be like us, match our style, match our swag, and it's still not dope enough. They will try to keep us down and they will continue to be mad, so let us be great. Ignore the hate. As a matter of fact, they should target that. And that's the ending of a poem called Target. Um that talks about the history of the country and and how instead of black people being targets, they need to white people should start to target other things, target understanding us, target educating yourself, like target that and leave us alone because people don't understand. When you go to the grocery store, you want to be left alone in a grocery sure. shop. You know, there's so much value in just being left alone. Um, but arts and culture originated, you say, on the east side, or at least yeah. uh, can be exported from there. Yes. Okay. And I say that, and I would say that you can look at it on a larger scale too, right? In America, a lot of the culture stems from black communities. Every genre of music that's popular started in a black community, like everything. So so we just, we watch our culture be adapted and turned into other things that are more digestible for other communities. Um, but it all comes from from us, even when you look at right now the the art that's coming out of the city, from music, from Griselda the rappers mm-hmm. to the Wajids and their murals to Princessa's art gallery and and her impact in the Hurdle area representing the Black community, um, the art is coming out of the East Side. Like we're we're creating the culture and we're just watching it get adapted. So if you really want to experience the culture, you got to come to the East Side. Okay, uh, what about poetry <laughs> in general? Is that too? Uh, got the deep East Side roots. I know it does for you, mm-hmm. but in a more general sense. Yeah, I mean, poetry stems from the African tradition of storytelling. Um, and it's the way that we've, we've not only remembered and retained our history, but we've taught our history. So, yeah, spoken word comes from African storytelling. So it all it all goes back to to black people holding the keys to the culture. Um, And not to dispute that, but I think you also have to look at the idea of social justice. Walt Whitman was a social justice poet. Mm -hmm. Um, John Greenleaf Whittier was a social justice poet. Certainly Langston Hughes, yes. Um, Some of the writings of James Baldwin, absolutely. Not poetry, but but the same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, If you look at the history of social justice movements, Poetry's almost always been woven always. in there somewhere. Yeah, always. Even when you look back to the civil rights movement, um, poetry, song, just storytelling in general. And I like to say surmise it by saying storytelling because storytelling doesn't start and end with poetry. Storytelling is in art. It's in dance. It's in singing. So just the idea of a storytelling, it started with the spoken word, but but we've watched it take on so many different forms of artistry. Um, and yeah, historically, it's always been present in our communities. Back to, to slaves picking cotton 
and and singing to get through the day or or braiding hair and using cornrows to map out how to escape you know like it's always art has always been how we survive all right before we close here and i do want to have you close with some poetry before we close here i i, I you can address so many issues you talked about ownership you obviously talk about poetry mm-hmm. talk about you and the community how you doing i'm doing okay um I'm still processing. I think a lot of us are still, I think it's going to be a long process to to really come to terms with what happened. Um, but I love my people so much. I love the people on the east side of Buffalo so much. They're colorful and they're musical and and everything about, about the east side is, is home for me. So... While I'm healing, I'm also trying to do my part in making sure that my people understand how ma- magical they are. <laughs> All right. This this has been fun. But coming up next, Bridget J. Paul Valenza, Buffalo Catholic Charities educator, Harvey Miles Jr. But before we get to that, let's close with a piece. Go ahead. Yeah, so this poem is called Take Care. Um, and I definitely want to dedicate it to anybody who's still kind of reeling from everything that happened. Take your time, um, but take care of yourself. Take care. I know you feel like ain't nobody there. I know that you're a good person and life just ain't fair. I know you're surrounded by people and you still feel alone. They're looking at you like you're crazy and you're too afraid to share. Take care. I know the bills keep piling up. And the bills don't care that you're just down on your luck. And while you're trying to stay afloat, I know they cut your phone off. And like the straw that broke the camel's back, enough is enough. I know you're smiling outside, but inside you're in a rut. And at this point, you'll do whatever just to keep your head up. So in the meantime, pay attention to what you do for a buck. Because the trap is a trap and you might get stuck. And you can have everything that the world has to give and it might still spit you out after chewing you up. So take care. I see the family problems, how they get you down. Misunderstood and they still don't see why you don't come around. And when you do show up, why you don't make a sound. You won't even walk around. It's like you're tethered to the ground. You know that something's wrong but can't put your finger on it. Holding on to all that pain although you don't really want it. And no matter how hard you try, you just can't seem to explain it. So the frustration becomes a box and the goal is to contain it. Place that box up on a shelf and act like it ain't even there. Because healing just seems harder than pretending that you're scared and admitting that you are and you need a little help. So you paint on a fake smile and you pretend that you've dealt. And that box stays alive in the back of your brain and it haunts you every moment until you think you'll go insane. But you don't. Because it's important that they only see you win. (laughs) Sometimes those who look out forget to look within. Sometimes we neglect ourselves, always trying to lend a hand. So busy trying to be the bridge that you forget to be the land. Ground yourself. Deep breath. What will get you through the day? Find yourself. Tell your truth. It's fine not to be okay. Make a plan. Write it plain. Decide what you need to do. Because it's a fact that you are good to none if you're no good to you. So take care. Remember, someone's there. And trust me, you are seen. It may get hard. You may get lonely. But your grass is still green. The sun shines in your likeness. You have no choice but to beam. And when your light is bright, pitch black isn't as dark as it may seem. So take care. Jillian Hainsworth is the City of Buffalo's Poet Laureate. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. We'll be right back. One of the best ways to support WBFO is to become a valuable sustainer. It is the most mutually beneficial relationship we can have with our members. Whether you give annually or monthly as a sustaining member, you allow not only us, but also yourselves to be financially prepared throughout the year. Plus, the amount you give is entirely up to you. Whatever you are comfortable with, no amount is too small. Please take a moment to visit our website at wbfo.org or give us a call at 1-877-456-8870 to donate today. Thank you.
Hey, we used to love this song. We still do, but we used to too. WBFO The Bridge, college radio for adults. Check us out on the TuneIn app or on your smart speakers. And of course, WBFO.org slash The Bridge. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. Hello, you're listening to Buffalo What's Next, where we have real conversations about what led to the Tops Massacre and how we can help remedy the issue. Thank you for joining us. I'm host Bridget Jaipal Valenza. We're joined today by Harvey Miles Jr., program supervisor and educator with Catholic Charities. Uh, thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Um, tough doesn't even begin to describe the last few weeks. Yes. Um, how, how are you doing? I'm faring, I'm faring well. Um, I'm more concerned about my community than myself. Um, and helping facilitate healing is helping me heal. Since day one, you have been in the community. You have been there. Um, attending services, attending events, helping. Um, from then until today, how how are people doing? People have uh, mixed feelings. Um, it highlighted all the disparities that um, has been perpetuating years and years in our community. Um, from how everything was labeled and is not labeled as a terroristic act. Um, even how does, even how the um, perpetrator was uh, apprehended, and how he was treated, and being treated with justice and dignity, as a mass murderer. Has that caused anger? Yes, it has. I mean, people are are simply angry in the fact that he was apprehended alive. Yes. Okay. Where you see other cases where um, I remember years ago, um, there was a guy who had some mental health issues and he ended up shooting a cop over on Elmwood and his appearance in court the next day, you can tell he had endured some some physical something in between that incident and um, when he was arraigned in court. So. People see images of that. They see family members who were arrested for minor things and may have been, you know, uh, had some police brutality perpetrated on them. Mm-hmm. Um, where they're, you know, the judge may, may see it and send that person, you know, release them and tell them to go straight to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And that's the only justice that we get. And here is this person who's not from our community. He gets who commits a terroristic act, and he's treated fairly. Justice yes. seems different depending on your skin color. Yes, definitely. And that is not lost on anyone, <laughs> is it? No, it's not. It's you know, it's 
it seems like it's the same old, same old. We get promises, promises, promises. Um, they bring us to the table. They act like they're listening to us. And everything else was already um, decided before. You find out it was already decided before they even listened to us. So to a certain extent, you feel like politicians right now are simply pandering to their audience. I wouldn't say that. You may say that, but I wouldn't say that. But I call them observations. I mean, you look at Jefferson. Um, you look at the plight that's around there. And here it is. Tops was a space that we were doing the best that we can what what, what we have. And then you had people who came there for different reasons, not just because it was the closest grocery store, but there was a commu sense of community um, at that Tops. That was a safe space for us. And I can't wrap my arms around this. Um, I may buy something on Facebook Marketplace or tell someone to meet me there who may be white. And they, and they would tell me, I don't feel safe there. But here it is. You had a white individual come from miles away and put terror on my community. And not only that person, but you have people calling in, making you know false terroristic threats on schools in my community and in places of worship in my community, father making harm to my community. How does that make you feel? It's a, it's a double standard that's perpetuated. It's, it's like they, you don't want us in your community, but then you won't let us rest in our community, nor will you give us the resources in our community. Um, Buffalo, you look at Buffalo, Buffalo is growing. There's a lot of development in Buffalo. But in my life, you know, yes, we get, they may give us shiny toys, but we're not making the money to access those, those you know, shiny to toys that they give us as saying we're helping Buffalo development. And I'm looking at this, this development-driven um uh, uh, policies in Buffalo and it's really with, like Reaganomics where it's trickle down economics but it's not working for us. Rents are higher we still got dilapidation around us and if we do get some development it, we're priced out of it and you have people that's coming from out of state who are reaping the benefits but the people are here are not I'm Bridget J. Paul Valenza. You're listening to Buffalo, What's Next? And we're talking to Harvey Miles Jr., program supervisor and educator with Catholic Charities. Let's pivot a moment. On your social media, yes. you posted um, something that said, quote, we demand racial truth and reconciliation in America. Talk to me about that. We have to get to the truth of racism. Um, as I was speaking to um, someone at Catholic Charities, one of the biggest deceptions Satan has done to this world is to make you think evil does not exist or exist over there somewhere. Racism is evil. And we keep treating racism like it does not exist, as if it does not 
um, exists in the very fabric of this country. As racism wasn't built on the backs of, I mean, uh, racism wasn't um, embedded into the American policies um, systematically from our um, racist lyrics in the national anthem to um, redlining to here it is, Evans Bank this day was had a settlement for the accusations of redlining. Um, the double standard um, that we see in our parks. Um, I used to be a youth programmer for um, for the Police Athletic League of Buffalo. And running programming at different parks, I can see the disparity on how the parks were treated. Um, we, I have a, um, I help with a kickball group called Vix um, Kickball Group, where people from the community we come out, we barbecue, we have a pickup adult and kids kickball, which is helping part of the healing in Maston Park. Yes, the grass is cut, but there's weeds under the bench. It is, uh, you know, certainly with then when you go to other parks. Casanova Park, it's Christine. That's just my observation. Um, city services. You know, I know people who live on Columbus Parkway. Their garbage get picked up, um, cleaned up. After garbage men, they drop something out of the truck, they'll pick it up. But on the east side, there's times where whole streets get missed, skipped over, and you have to call and keep your garbage out the next day. Or if something spell out the truck, if you're not out there looking at them, they're not picking it up. There's heavy garbage. If you're not out there and looking at the garbage uh, men, they're not picking that stuff up. And it's an attitude they're less than, so they deserve less services which I think attracts um, hateful people to say they're worthless. I can go extinguish those people, and I really think nothing's going to happen to me. Tell me how you feel about the theory that black people are being replaced by white people. I mean, that's what predicated part of this Massacre. It's a scare tactic. Um, again, it's it's to keep black and brown people in some type of bondage. You know, we can't have slavery, so we can we can enslave them through the justice system. We can enslave them through economic policies, and we can enslave them by causing trauma to their community. Do you have anything to say to the shooter? I think to a certain extent, he's a victim. How so? He wasn't born that way. Um, obviously, someone failed to teach him love, to teach him that hate is unnatural. Um, someone didn't teach him how not to, even if you feel strong, strongly about something, you don't always act on your feelings. Um, so I think he may have some regret now, you know, sitting in that jail cell. Um, where, where are all these people who supported him? I don't think, I don't think 
he was just a lone wolf. I think maybe, yeah, he's a lone wolf, but he has an internet herd. I think there, I suspect there, there was some assistance somewhere down the line. How did he know to go to Pennsylvania to get his gun um, right? Yeah, there are Modified. questions about that. Somebody certainly, he, somewhere out there, he found out that information. Right. Right. And I, I kind of heard um, our local sheriffs kind of spin the issue. And he talked about the how he's been getting guns and drugs off the streets, mm-hmm. which was a slap in my community's face because the illegal guns are in my neighborhood. But they were legal when they were purchased, but they wasn't purchased. More than likely, it wasn't purchased by a black person. I believe if I go to a gun show and buy a hundred guns from a straw purchase, they'd probably call it FBI on me. So where are these two worlds meeting right. to get illegal guns on the on the street? If you're a felon, you can't go to another state and buy a legal firearm. So how are these firearms getting on the street? It is a a policy that may have had very altruistic intentions, right. but it seems like it's hurting the very people it intended to assist or keep safe, if you will. Yes. Um, there are a number of programs on the East Side in the black community uh, that are designed to help youth, to to help um, the next generation not fall into the traps of crime or um, poverty even. Yes. That's great. Those are wonderful programs. What about programs that teach anti-racism to suburbanites? Do those exist? Not that I know of. Um, Zanetta, whose son was shot in the neck, she has an initiative where she's getting books out to the suburbs. Um, I've worked in southern suburban schools and haven't seen any push or really a lackluster of basic uh, African-American history. So it really is essentially what's what whatever is in the textbook is it. Right. And that's and that's my idea of um, racial truth is not only the bad things that happen, but also the contributions that African-Americans have made that has been hidden or not talked about. Um, You see some grassroots now with uh, racial uh, truth and reconciliation, but I think we need to really start pushing it on the national level and maybe having um, a a national movement where we have a reconciliation um, commission as un- other countries like Canada, Peru, um, and South Africa had to get past all the in- injustices that we have had. So it's, it's one thing to be, uh, I'm against racism, but that were anti-racist, having the anti-racist policies 
in America is warranted and needed. What does reconciliation look like? That's a it's it's certainly a very difficult conversation, but right. we're about having difficult conversations right now. Right. So what what does reconciliation right. look like? The best way for me to describe it being a I'm an ordained Baptist minister also. Um, as a Christian through forgiveness, through accepting God, through repent, repent meaning a change of mind, I change my weight, my mind, my thinking, my behavior change. So when I say the way I was going was wrong and I have a change of mind and go a different way. So that was my way of reconciling with God, being in right relationship with God. And God also orders us to be in right reconciliation and right re relationship with each other. So how can you um, pick and choose who you in right relationship with. I don't think you can. Right. If you notice the Ten Commandments is the first three is about how to reconcile with God. The rest are about how we treat each other. Right. And I think we lose the sense of, especially when you're looking at it from a Christian perspective, that God is really really looking at and, and putting emphasis on how we treat each other, no matter if they're from your tribe, they're your same color, they're from a different neighborhood. We really need to be in right um, relationship with each other. And, have, and being in right relationship with each other means having some type of relationship with each other. Getting to know people. Um, I feel like we are in that era where we look to be offended instead of looking to understand. Is there something to be said about being able to understand thy neighbor? Yes. Not only understand your neighbor, but interact with your neighbor. It's one thing to come out, speak to your neighbor, sit on the porch, but are you, are you inviting your neighbor in your house? Right. 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 Are you inviting... Um, people into your comfort zone to get to know them, to get to understand them. And also so that they can get to understand and know you. Yes. Thank you very much, Harvey Miles Jr., for joining us with your insights uh, in this critical discussion. I'm host Bridget Jaipal Valenza. Up next is Jay Moran with Alexander Wright, African Heritage Food Co-op. We'll be right back. It's one thing to love public media, but it's a special thing to support it. Consider this. If you've got a car you don't need anymore, or you've got one that's simply too expensive to repair, arrange to donate it to Buffalo Toronto Public Media. It's easy for you. Pickup is free and it could be worth hundreds of dollars in support. Here's how to get started. Go to WNED.org slash vehicles. Watch, listen, engage, play, and learn with Buffalo Toronto Public Media Stations and our weekly newsletter, The List. Sign up to receive the email at WNED.org and find out the best shows to watch, the great music to listen to, the important news you can't miss, and the many ways you can engage with our public media family. Sign up now at WNED.org.
You're listening to Buffalo What's Next. There are several ways for you to join the conversation. Send us a message now on Twitter at WBFO. Email us at news at WBFO.org or just press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app and leave a comment we can use on the air. We're here for you. This is Buffalo What's Next. And we continue now on Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. Along with me is Alex Wright, the uh, one of the uh, co-founders. Is that right of the African Heritage Food Co-op? Co-founders that you want to go by? Yes, sir. Um, so it's a co-op, it's a collective. To say that you're a founder is kind of... Uh, Presumptuous? Yeah, and, and it's just not what we're trying to do. So, you know, was I f- the front of a lot of stuff? For sure. But I don't like to say founder. I like okay. to say co-founder. And as a matter of fact, when we were talking the other day, you, you said you kind of looked back to people like Booker T. Washington, Frederick Douglass. They they set that template, so to speak. Definitely. Um, I was looking for something that would exist without a figurehead, something that didn't really need a leader You know, that could be assassinated either literally or uh, figuratively. And I wanted something that could... Um, stand secession planning, you know, so my children don't feel the burden of having to take this on. Any community child can do that. I definitely want to talk uh, more about the co-op and get into some of the specifics for sure. But I, I thought one of the things that you probably can lend a hand here more than maybe anybody else is we've heard this now cliche that Buffalo's East Side is a food desert. And in a way, it's a it's a powerful statement, mm-hmm. tells us some things, but it really doesn't, what happens, I think, when these things get passed on, from story to story to story, they right. become kind of a, a, they lose a little bit of their effectiveness and their specificity. What are the real problems here? Talk about Buffalo, that area of Buffalo being a food desert. First of all, is it a, is it a correct assertion? Right, so first, uh, food desert is a misnomer. Um, is Hiroshima a desert? No, it was purposely bombed. What we're facing in Buffalo is food apartheid, all right? When white flight took place um, in the 50s, 60s, 70s in Buffalo, so did all the resources, so did the banks, so did the, um, the grocery stores, okay? So that was purposely done, right? So, so, and that created the situation that we're in right now. When we say food desert, a desert is something that occurs naturally. It happens, right? And, and I think that people want to say food desert because it makes them feel better. And, oh, okay, this is a cute little uh, turn of phrase that we can use. Nah, this is food apartheid. And it was purposely done to my community. And that's why um, my community needs to be the head of, in charge of, um, in control of its resurgence. And my community needs the resources that were taken and gouged from it so that we can then put all the things back that need to be back. See, the problem, though, funds and, and people from outside of the community want to keep control of the resources that are in my community. So they want to say, okay, well, we're going to do this that we control. We're going to do this that we operate. Uh, we're Because you poor little black folks down there don't know what you're doing. You, you don't have the ability or, or you don't have the capacity to fix your own problems. And, and it's, it's foolish. It's foolish because everything that we need to thrive in my community is in my community except for resources. And the only reason the resources aren't there is because they were taken. 
Now, I want to get into that a little bit more, but at the same time, we'll use, again, apartheid, food desert, whatever the case may be. What is, can we get into a specific element of food logistics? Yes. Bringing food into that area that is missing and lacking right now and is being blocked. Yeah. So when we're talking about food, the term food deserts, food apartheid, the the, the food insecurity in, in in the East Side community, East Buffalo community, you have you had Tops, which was the only full service grocery store in the community for four or five miles each way. Okay, that's gone. What else is there? You have corner stores that are there currently. You have pseudo groceries um, that are that are still three to four miles away. You have an Aldi's, which is on Broadway. Okay, so that's about two miles, two and a half miles. You have uh, Save-A-Lot, which is on Genesee, which is another two, three, four miles away. You have another Aldi's on Main Street, again, two, three, four miles away. It's very difficult for people um, to to get to these places, and especially when you talk about our elders. Right. So even though we have, uh, you know, Tops is doing what it can to get people from point A to point B, but... You know, some of these folks are, you know, 70 years old, they have arthritis, they have other health issues. So even getting in that car, going to get those bags, trying to muscle them, you know, or trying to find, you know, their grandchild to help them do that, it's just very difficult. People need to be able to have something in walking distance, right, Um, that can help them get the healthy food and nutrition that they need because it's just, it's non-existent currently in that area you know and there are there are initiatives that are trying to put healthy stuff in our corner stores um but that's weird it's like they're not really structured for that they're that's, not that's how they've developed throughout the years convenience items basically right convenience item yeah and if they wanted to do healthy fruits and vegetables they've been in the community for 30 years 20 years 15 years they would have done it you know if that was something that they wanted to do right so you're you're almost forcing people to do something that they don't want to do and when you go in there the produce looks like they were forced to do something they don't want to do the uh, african Heritage Food Co-op. Uh, how many, or do you have individual residents that are your customers or are a part of the co-op as well? How many? How many people involved? Yeah, we have about four hundred uh, members now, but um, we don't just serve our membership. We serve um, the entire community. So, uh, in the height of COVID, just with one partner, we had two hundred and thirty thousand deliveries. Wow. Um, we we're out here, boots on the ground before May 14th, after May 14th, because this is what we do. This is our community. And we serve whoever we need to serve. Um, People can purchase from us directly on the website. We'll deliver right to your house. From day one, we've delivered for free to elders, anyone over 55 and anyone who is physically disabled has always been free delivery because we we understood the food insecurity even with the existence of tops there were food deserts what uh, where do you get your supplies from then well it depends on the time of the year 
So what we try to do, we try to get as much as we can locally grown, locally sourced. But our growing season is short, thimble-sized. <laughs> so we end up having to go to uh, distributors. Uh, the main dist- One of the distributors we work with a lot is Tarantino Foods. Um, and they work with us really well, and they always give us really fresh, really clean, and really good produce. So that's why we, we stick with them over other places. But um, during the season, we'll work with Eden Valley Growers. We'll work with... Um, Bittner Singer Orchard, Sanger Farms, Thorpe's Organic, uh, you you name it. Or we'll go to the uh, at the Niagara Food Terminal on Tuesdays at like 3 a.m. Farmers pull up and they sell their wares. So you'll go and you'll buy. We'll buy as much as we can from there as well. We want people to get locally sourced, clean, healthy stuff um, as much as possible. I got a chance to meet you, uh, I think it was a week ago, and it was last Tuesday on Carlton Street. Yes, and, sir. Uh, we, that is the, the, perhaps the future home for the African uh, Heritage Food Co-op. Um, let's talk about your vision for that, that oh, building. Yeah. So that is not just a grocery. That is a community space. That's supposed to be where people come in eat well, eat healthy, but our elders can come and play chess and drink coffee, share war stories. We want young folks to come in and see our elders when we interact. Um, We'll have full service, um, not just produce. We'll have meat. We'll have even some of your unhealthy snacks in there (laughs) because we believe in choice. Right. Right. And, And Rome wasn't built in a day. Right. So if we just make better decisions one day at a time, we'll all be healthier. On the second floor is open community space for trainings. Uh, block clubs can use it. Uh, youth can come and do their homework. And we'll also open up space uh, during our busiest days for entrepreneurs, tabletop entrepreneurs um, who are in and of the community to give them a space and give. Because it's not just about the co-op doing well. It's about changing business um, in East Buffalo. The only way... Everyone's attacking poverty with everything but money in people's pockets. You know, hey, we'll give you a training program that could potentially maybe do this or we'll do that. And You know, people need to be able to go and get a living wage. They need to be able to have their money and they need to. So, you know, Johnny wants to go to violin lessons or uh, Lakeisha wants to be a swimmer. We need to be able to get. People need to have gainful employment so they can do those things and enrich their lives. And that's how you beat poverty, through business, through community-owned business. And when you talk about public space, we had Mike Farrow on here the other day from the the band Farrow, and he really emphasized that idea. What can help? Having spaces where everybody can exchange the realities, I guess, for lack of a better term. And I, I... I, as we were over there on Carlton Street the other day, you know, you're two blocks from Roswell. You know, you're a couple of blocks from Jefferson. You know, you think about these different types of places, if they were available, would be places that people would be walking to, riding their bikes, things along the night. Yes. Do, do, do you see that as well? Yeah, I think Carlton's a perfect location because it allows us to serve a community that, that needs uh, a grocery, but also it's around a lot of folks with disposable income. So business-wise, it makes sense, right? So 
it can be self-sufficient through that. And it'll bring different types of people together. We've done uh, community conversations about uh, uh, male and female relationships. We've talked about, I would love to have a real conversation on race, real conversation on uh, white supremacy in Western New York. Have these tough conversations because if we if we don't we're never going to get better we're never as long as we can live in a silo you know as long as i can live in my palace in orchard park and and only come to buffalo during the sabers game or only come to buffalo to have a drink and go back and i never interact with folks that are here then i can keep a stereotype what i learned i'll give you an example i ran track in high school there is a misnomer that white men can't jump. <laughs> okay. I saw a white man high jump eight feet. You see what I'm saying? But when you have that interaction, that destroys those stereotypes. As long as we don't have interaction, as long as we can't see each other and be around each other, we will always be in this mess. You know, uh, you also might remember uh, Denise Barr talking about how it's not the east side, it's neighborhoods. Right. Na- you know, it's it's fruit belts, it's you know, Jefferson, it you know, go yeah. around uh, around the city. And I guess to take this another step and I'm wondering if if you can maybe fill in the gaps here a little bit. A building like that one on Carlton that could be the African Heritage Food Co-op. Could you see other buildings like that in other neighborhoods around here and helping to maybe bring all these different communities together, make them places that we can all walk to, ride to, take our bikes to? Definitely. And the beautiful thing about co-ops is it doesn't have to be another African Heritage Food Co-op. It can be the Cold Spring Co-op. It can be the Central Park Co-op. It can be the Bailey Co-op. You know, I'm not trying to have the monopoly on cooperatives in in Black Buffalo, right? Um, But we have co-op principles to where as a cooperative, you have to help another co-op start up and build. So however the community wanted to do it, if they wanted another African Heritage Food Co-op, let's do it. Um, but yeah, we need them in different neighborhoods. We we need healthy, we need economic engines in our community that are self-sustainable, that are going to employ us and reinvest in our communities. Let's talk about the investment then in the possibility of the African Heritage Food Co-op on Carlton Street. Um, there's a, a a little bit of work to be done there, to say the least. Right. But I'm wondering. I was wondering about this after we were done talking. Is it? Does it simply have to be donations, grants, things like that into the into the uh, charitable wing of things, or is there an investment opportunity there for somebody who wants to? Uh, Piece of the action, if I may use the capitalist term there. Right. Uh, well, the way the the way the co-op works is it has to be community owned, right? So we would rather we would take a loan before we gave a percentage, yeah, percentage of the ownership. Of the, yeah, on. because that's not what it's about. Um, if I was going to do that, I could have done that three years ago, right? But then the co-op isn't the co-op. It's Joe investor and you've got a return. You got a return to the investor. Yeah. And then, you know, people want, want say so when they invest. Right. Right. And then we start having things that the community doesn't necessarily want. So 
the last thing I want to do is to create a glorious edifice that doesn't edify. Um, so then let's get into that. What, what are the plans then moving forward? I mean, you got a lot of work to do on that building. You, you told me a little do. bit about it. Uh, there was a plan once upon a time to have a restaurant there. It was a mysterious fire that happened later on. Yeah. So you've got, you've got some work ahead of you there, but it's an interesting building with some good bones, it looks like to me. Yes. In a great location. Yep. And historical value. You know, it's locally landmarked. We're working on getting it nationally landmarked as well. Um, we are, you know, a block away from the African-American Heritage Corridor. So we're pushing to see if we can extend that a little bit to us. Um, but, yeah, we need $3 million to do that. Uh, the Bills Foundation kicked us off with $50,000. Uh, we received about 75,000 in donations since May 14th from the, from the community. So thank you to, you know, people who've been sending in $10, $25, 50 bucks, 200 bucks, whatever they've been doing. You know, we really appreciate that. We have other promises coming in. We've been writing grants. We are extremely confident that this building is going to go up. Wow. That is uh, outstanding news uh, for sure. We're talking with Alex Wright uh, from the African Heritage uh, Food Co-op here on uh, Buffalo, what's next? Uh, uh, let's make sure that we get the information out and we can finish up our conversation. If somebody wants to find out more, what do they do? MyAHFC.com. MyAHFC.com. There's actually a donate button there as well. It tells you a lot about the co-op. You can also find us on Facebook to see what we're doing, pictures up, what we've been doing since 2016. You can call us at 716-573-1844, 716-573-1844. But our voicemail has been very full lately. Really? Um, you can email us at info at gmail.com, info at gmail.com. And if you if you missed all of what Alex said there, this the this is going to be rebroadcast later tonight. It's also on our podcast, so you can hear it. Uh, what Alex had to say for sure. Uh, you're a real busy guy. What time does the day start for you? Uh, I usually get up at four forty five. Okay, and then um, you know we have to plan right before I came here. We had to get the staff together um, to get our deliveries going. So and then sometimes the night doesn't end until nine. 10, um, especially with this going on. So I had to take my girlfriend to a show yesterday because she's going to leave me. <laughs> if I don't take care of her, you know, and I'm planning. Just another cooperative part of the co-op. Exactly. You know, I have to take my kids on a good vacation, you know, at the end of August, hopefully, because everyone's bearing with me and they're jumping right in and they're helping. And, you know, our community is really a community of good neighbors. It is. Uh, we just want to make sure that your goodness isn't misused or put in the wrong place by the people who are pulling strings. So we say things like, hey, get with the folks who have already been here, invest in the people who you know aren't going anywhere and who are accountable to you and to this community. Alex Wright. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you, sir. Alex Wright is with the African Heritage Food Co-op. Also earlier, Harvey Miles and uh, Jillian Hainsworth, our guests today on Buffalo. What's next? We'll have more, of course, for you coming up tomorrow morning here. This is WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown. Thanks for joining us.